Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Thank you for the feedback on uh, on our text line. Remember, you can always text me, follow up questions or comments uh, about the conversations we're having here. The text line is always open during the show, 877-933-2484. You can also email me if you've got something lengthy to say, uh, carmen at myfaithradio.com. If it's critical, send it to Paul. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, Paul Perot, who's always with us. He's mm-hmm. just quiet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. it's your show, so I, I can let you do the stuff. <laughs> That's good. Okay. Uh, two quick uh, headlines here about vaccine trials that I think will interest you. Johnson & Johnson um, has paused, the word is paused, their COVID-19 trial, which uh, importantly includes some 60,000 people. So Johnson & Johnson's COVID-19 trial, which includes 60,000 people, has been paused. That's the headline. Uh, apparently, one individual involved um, has an unexplained illness, and so they they pause the study. That's how this works. So, you know, let's let them do what, they're, uh, what they need to do to ensure that uh, this one individual's illness is not caused by the vaccine in order that the trial can proceed. Uh, Also, UK-based AstraZeneca, which had paused its trial, has now moved to phase three in uh, in trials related to an antibody treatment. uh, And they're getting nearly half a billion dollars in U.S. funding um, for their efforts. So that kind of all happened over the weekend. And we might have missed that in terms of what we talked about yesterday with uh, Dr. Zach. But you can get those um, COVID-19 headlines if you want to listen to yesterday's conversation with Dr. Zach Jenkins. We covered a lot of uh, of COVID headlines then. I got one interesting article to tee up for you from the New York Times this morning. Uh, a dose of, here's the the headline, a dose of optimism, which, you know, frankly, a dose of optimism in the New York Times related to the pandemic is just a shocking headline right now. So here we go. A dose of optimism as the pandemic rages on. The months ahead will be difficult, but the medical cavalry is coming and the rest of us know what we need to do. So now I'll just tell you that as a a person who has spent some time in the word of God and therefore uh, I have a mind that is, uh, well, it just, it teems with little scripture verses here and there. So even though I had to look up the referent, which, by the way, is Psalm 70, or Psalm 20, verse 7, um, the, the verse came immediately to mind when uh, there was a reference to the medical cavalry, as if we were going to put all of our trust in uh, in horses and chariots. Okay, so the verse that came to mind was some trust in horses and chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Um, the key paragraph in the optimism article in the New York Times today, which just let me remind you, it's significant that the New York Times is running an optimistic article about uh, COVID-19 or the pandemic or its end. 
Here's the key paragraph. Events have moved faster than I thought possible. By the way, the person who writes this article has been um, sort of the lead um, grim reaper in terms of the New York Times coverage up to this point. So for this person to pivot and now say events have moved faster than I thought possible, I have become cautiously optimistic. Experts are saying with genuine confidence the pandemic in the United States will be over far sooner than they expected, possibly by the middle of next year. Now, for some people, when they hear the middle of next year, they're saying to themselves, that's still a really long time away. Um, And yet, if you've been paying attention and you've been listening, you know that in order for us as a people, not just here in the United States, but globally, to process through a new virus, 80 percent of the population has to eventually get it. Now, we either get it by transmission Um, Or we get it by vaccination. But one way or another, we have to get it in order for our immune systems to be able to defend us against it. So anyway, that's where we're at. And uh, it's moving quickly, uh, some would say, at warp speed. Mm -hmm. Okay. next up, Dr. Brett Nix from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. He and I are going to talk about distinguishing the flu from COVID. We're going to talk about returning to school and then uh, and washing your hands. And one thing that I'm really, 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 really interested in. Um, why your dog looks at you the way they do. Why my dog looks at me the way she does. That's really the conversation I want to have. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Brett Nix is back. He's representing the Christian Medical and Dental Association, but really we're going to start off today with we're just mutual dog lovers. Good morning, sir. Hey, Carmen. Good morning. Great to hear from you. So Sassy, the studio dog, is uh, back in the studio this morning, having abandoned me yesterday because there was a bird in the building. Um, And I understand that your family um, has a new dog as well. We do. We added a uh, chocolate lab by the name of Willow to our family back in June. She is now six months old, almost 50 pounds, and a ball of energy, as you can imagine. So I read recently that the TSA um, is making a transition to all floppy-eared dogs because it's the floppy-eared dogs that people trust. They're not afraid of them, even though they're big, um, because apparently pointy-eared dogs have a bad rep. Apparently that's true. It's funny. I actually read the article as well. And really? Because see, I try to had... surprise. I try to surprise my guests with a headline from time to time, and you are beyond surprise. It's good. Well, I don't know if that's true, but uh, ironically, my mother actually works for TSA, so she always gives <gasps> me the updates when she hears from her friends. So it's a, uh, it's quite interesting. I think that is all optics. I think it's just people's persona, and as it relates to uh, when they see certain dogs, uh, either whether that's something that's brought on by the movies that they've watched or by their own personal experience. But it is interesting. Yes, the floppier dogs seem to win out. Okay, so let's do our dog story before we do all of our people stories. Is that okay? That sounds great. Okay, dogs prefer other dogs, not human faces. What? Can you believe that? Can you believe that? It's heartbroken. This is fascinating because we think of dogs being wired like we are. And I don't know how somebody came up with this study, but it's really quite amazing. (laughs) They took 20 dogs and 30 humans, so not quite the same number, and they put them through uh, an MRI scanner, what's called a functional MRI scanner. And in this process, they showed them images of people. They showed them images of dogs. And this functional MRI highlights how the brain responds. And so 
if for an example, they'd show a click of a, a small clip of a human face and then the back of a human's head. And then the last two were short videos of dogs' faces and the backs of dogs' heads. And what they ended up finding is that humans and dogs both prefer looking at members of their own species and that dogs' brains were more active when they saw a dog compared to when they saw a person. But what was fascinating is we think that when we look at a dog and they see our face, they get really, really excited. It doesn't matter whether they see the face or the back of our head. They recognize us because <laughs> dogs' ability to smell and all the other things that they do differently from senses, they're able to identify and be, and be responsive whether it's the face or not. So I hate to okay. say it. When you look at your pooch and you get all excited, they're happy to see you. They just don't have the same response as we do. Okay, so this gets worse, though, because we have two dogs who are uh, like six or seven months old. They're really cute, but they're really big and rambunctious. And so they are kind of quarantined. I mean, I this, they live in a beautiful orchard, but, you know, they live in a fenced area versus Sassy, who is little and gets to sort of be with me all the time. And so I have I have imagined up until this point that as long as I don't let them see my eyes, as long as I avert my eyes that they don't really see me wandering around in the yard with her, right? They don't really see me giving her attention. But what you're saying is they see me. And maybe more importantly, they see her. Yeah. I, I've learned a lot from you this morning already. All right. Dr. Brett Nix and I uh, are going to continue our conversation. We're going to talk about um, washing our hands, returning to school, and distinguishing the flu from COVID-19. Let's start with that one. How do we distinguish whether or not right. we have the flu or whether or not we have COVID? You know, that's a great thing. I mean, it's flu season. We're seeing it already in the emergency yeah. department. We've been seeing it since September. Keep in mind, people are familiar. The symptoms of the flu, fever, fatigue, sore throat, headaches, body aches, the runny nose. But keep in mind, the flu can also have a bad cough. And so, you know, we think about COVID and a lot of those symptoms can be the same. But keep in mind, some of the unique things about COVID is the loss of sense of smell and the loss of taste. And so we look at these things and the studies that are out there simply state that if you have similar symptoms, but you have a loss of smell or you have a loss of taste, you really should be concerned that that's more COVID than it is influenza. All right. That one's really helpful. All right. Let's take a very brief break. When we come back, let's talk about going back to school. I'm talking right. to Dr. Brett Nix. He represents the medical, the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can find them at cmda.org. We'll be right back. Returning to my conversation with Dr. Brett Nix from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Uh, Brett, we now have an assignment. The next time you come on, you got to bring us a cat study of some kind because the cat people, <laughs> man, we were hearing from the cat people. Uh, let me just give a quick shout out to uh, Angel's owner. Yes, that's a beautiful kitty cat. And super what? spooky, like dressed for Halloween. Angel, by the way, is completely black, like just shiny yellow eyes. Anyway, there you go. All right. So, Brett, let's talk about um, returning to school and let's also talk about washing our hands. I just feel like I can't yeah. say washing our hands enough. Yeah, I tell you, that's, that goes part and parcel with going back to school. You know, it's fascinating. As we re recall our conversations, you know, several months back before school started, people were fearful that uh, going back to school would be a crucible for explosion of additional new cases and maybe an additional wave of uh, coronavirus. And researchers both at Brown as well as others that have been pulling up information from different uh, quality data centers have really been tracking this. And it's fascinating. If you look at the information from the uh, months of September in through October, and this data is up through about a week and a half ago, 
they found that the rates were really quite low. If you look at a school uh, of about a thousand kids uh, over a two week period, only about 1.3 kids uh, would end up testing positive based on the data that they've been collecting. And from a teacher perspective, uh, the same number of a thousand teachers, only 2.2 would be contracted. When you look at the data, though, they're saying it's not actually within the school. They're probably contracting it as they did their their tracing components outside of it in the community. And so when you look at what people had stated, hey, we need to go ahead and track and find out what people are doing. Uh, there's a great data state that looks at this and said, hey, with schools going back in, the mitigation strategies are working. Ninety five percent have have masks on staff at all times. Uh, 92% student masks at all times. Of course, some will take that off for eating and things like that. So there's small windows. Um, there's screenings on arrival, students staying in fixed cohorts, meaning their classes don't rotate or the teachers just move from room to room. Uh, they've had to change how they approach some schools. So some students who may have advanced classes may have to do class in school and then some online to address these issues, but have done an amazing job with this. And so the anticipation of a worsening wave has not been seen. And now, the, the reality of this is simply this. We know that these are not zero. And for some, that just means that it's not good enough. But we have to be realistic in looking at the challenges related to parents uh, from a working perspective. Uh, and also for those those children that have uh, situations at home that are not ideal from a learning perspective, let alone from a growth perspective, and recognize that the balancing act of bringing them into a safe environment where they're able to be fed, they're able to be fostered to grow both in knowledge and in character uh, matter dramatically. And so very positive news when you look at the data. Every community is not the same. If you have one that has a very, very high incidence of ongoing coronavirus illnesses, those are ones that are going to be more challenged. Uh, but the data to date in using all the strategies that have been suggested is very, very reassuring. We're having a pretty good experience. Um, you know, everything, when we start talking about school, um, everything's Wow, seems hotly political. It doesn't matter who you talk with. They have really strong opinions about this. Um, our experience has been pretty good, even though in both school environments where our kids have returned, there has been at least one uh, COVID positive case since the beginning of the school year. Um, in, you know, in one circumstance, it was so isolated that just that one child was affected, which I think is pretty extraordinary. In the other case, they shut down school for a couple of weeks and we all went to 100 percent. Uh, you know, the remote learning for a couple of weeks and now they're all back and everything seems good. So I do think that we are all adapting. Schools have adapted and um, and kids are learning not just the importance of masks uh, and hand sanitizer and hand wipes. They really are learning to wash their hands, but not everybody is remembering to do that. Talk with us about what we think we know <laughs> about Americans and hand washing. Oh, my goodness. I think uh, we tend to move back toward uh, our mean, which is, you know, CDC reports a new study just came out despite ongoing issues with coronavirus and moving into flu season. Only one in four people wash their hands after coughing, sneezing or blowing their nose. More importantly, about the same percentage before eating. And keep in mind, we talked about this before, whether this be flu, whether this be coronavirus, our hands and then touching our face or ingesting anything as it relates to it. That's really our biggest risk process that we have. And it's also the one that's the most easily preventable. If we move from 25% to 75% or 100%, our rates would drop. And we need to see this as a relation to both the flu season and the ongoing coronavirus. Think simple things. Always wash your hands after you use the bathroom. 
before and after preparing or eating foods. And always after coughing, sneezing, or blowing your nose, recognizing we don't recommend that you cough, sneeze, or blow your nose into your hands, but you know into your, into your elbow or into your arm uh, to go ahead and minimize it. And keep in mind, you may have a mask on, and so of course that makes it much more challenging. Keep in mind, you have to clean your mask, you have to wash them if they're washable, uh, or go ahead and place a new one on. In the pandemic, the same thing holds true. It hasn't changed. The same rules that we have every flu season, for some reason, we just don't do a great job. And so this is, this is a call out to everyone. If you are one of those 75% that just don't do this, make washing your hands a priority. Keep hand sanitizer available, just like we started to do back when the pandemic started. Um, we have a campaign that goes like this, because uh, we have a 14-year-old boy. <clears throat> so our hand washing campaign goes like this. Girls don't like boys who don't wash their hands. That's it. That's our whole strategy. And it's working. Girls don't girls don't like boys who don't wash their hands. And he will go and wash his hands. It doesn't matter what's going on. You just that's my little that's my little verbal campaign. So I feel like people need to find that that little verbal cue that works in their own household for their own people and then just start using it. And because, you know, me me telling him to go wash his hands has sort of lost its shine. But um, the idea that, you know, girls might not like a boy who has, you know, icky hands. And it, it's, wow. Um, I was on a Zoom call or other sort of video thing, and I coughed. And I coughed into my hand. And you should have seen the reaction as if we were in the same room, as if I was putting them at risk. Um, and so, I mean, I, I was called out on it. I had to apologize. It was so there is a, there's definitely some um, uh, people are thinking differently and and willing to engage in a conversation about it in ways that we certainly were not before. But uh, we just want to highlight again, this is a really important way for all of us not only to uh, keep ourselves more healthy, but certainly keep those around us uh, healthy as well. Um, Brett, thank you as always for joining us. Dr. Brett Nix, uh, we thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing on the front lines every day in terms of health care. We thank you for what you do at the Christian Medical and Dental Association. We want uh, those who are in any portion or part of, um, of health care to check it out, cmda.org. Lots of great resources there. Um, for you. Brett, thanks again. My pleasure. Have a great day, Carmen. Thanks for having me on. All right. We'll talk soon. We'll be right back. So you hear him every day uh, here at noon on Summit Life. His name's J.D. Greer. He is a pastor. He's also an author. He joins me next to talk about what are you going to do with your life? And yes, we have books available. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. This is Max Lacano. When Jesus found the just healed man in the temple, he told him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. John chapter 5 and verse 14. Stagnant do nothingness is deemed as a serious event. No more Bethesda for you. No more waking up and going to sleep in the same mess. God is the God of forward motion, the God of tomorrow. The man in John's story had waited 38 years, but something about the presence of Christ, the question of Christ, the command of Christ convinced him not to wait another day. Let's join him. Ask the Lord this question. What can I do today that will take me in the direction of a better tomorrow? 
Keep asking until you hear an answer. And once you hear it, do it. Stand up, take up, and walk. Remember, friends, you are never alone. This is Max Locato. All right, I'm thrilled to be joined today by Pastor J.D. Greer. Many of you also know him as the current president of the Southern Baptist Convention. J.D., welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Thank you, Carmen. I'm honored to be here. All right, well, it's fun to have you on with us. Um, Let's talk about this brand new book. What are you going to do with your life? Pretty provocative title. Um, who, Who is this book for and what does it grow out of? Yeah, so one of the most one of the most life changing books that I read um, when I was in college, so what fifteen twenty years ago, um, I wanted to say five years ago, but I didn't think anybody would believe that. <laughs> um, but was "Don't Waste Your Life" by John Piper that came from a message he preached, and it had such a humongous impact just on me thinking about. At that point, I was thinking about going into to law school. And I was just thinking about like a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, how am I going to wish that I had you know, leveraged my life for the Great Commission? And you know, as I as I as I've been leading now a church for the last twenty years, like I find like a lot of people, you know, we have a very cause driven generation, but. Um, you know, what is it that, that matters eternally? And are you going to get to the end of your life and look back and say, I, I, I wasted it. I didn't live for the things that really matter. One of the things I really um, try to drive home in this book, something that I've uh, really kind of, I, I almost said would build, have built our church around, which is uh, this idea that everybody is called. Um, everybody mm. is called to be a part of, of the Great Commission and to, uh, to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And so I wrote this book to try to get people to first not waste their lives and secondly, to discover what what God had put inside of them that he intended to use for his global purposes. I have often uh, heard myself echo Paul's words or question, you know, are you leading a life that's worthy of the calling to which you've been called? And you do juxtapose this uh, this wasted life or the idea that you could waste your life versus the idea that you could live a life and lead a life that is worthy. Talk about the difference between those two pursuits. Yeah. Well, again, I want to go to something deep inside all of us, whether we are new Christians, uh, you know, we've been walking with Jesus for 40 years or whether we're, we're still kind of checking this whole, you know, faith thing out. There's something inside of you that just doesn't, you know, that wants to get beyond just, Hey, I make money. I, 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 my, my year goes in a cyclical pattern where we you know, work like crazy, take a couple of weeks off and then, you know, kind of back at the grind, you want to know that, um, that beyond beyond that, there is something that you're able to be a part of. I, I, I saw this um, study, and I actually cited in the book that if you look at, at at college students and young professionals, the number one thing that they identify in in, in what they're looking for in life is not big house, it's not notoriety, um, it's that they want to have a life that's defined by purpose, a life that matters. And, you know, whether again, whether we're talking somebody that's, a, you know, a, a stay at home mom or somebody that's running for political office, there's something in you that wants to, you know, wants to contribute. And what you find in, in Scripture is that is that Jesus talks about that all the time. You know, he's like many people are going to uh, they live their life as if this mist that we have this 70, 80 years um, is really all that matters. Uh, you know, there's, a, there's an illustration I love where you think about like a, a, a hundred foot 
um, length of rope. And if imagine I had it all in a bag, I, you know, I actually do this for students sometimes and you pull out the first six inches and I were to make marks on those six inches that represent, um, that represent, you know, different, different momentous, uh, things in your life, marriage, graduation from college, your career, retirement. Um, when I you know, had marked it all in that six inches, you know, imagine if I just kept pulling the rope out and you know, saying, this is that, that six inches is your life, but this rope represents how long God created you for in eternity. And, 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 and once you realize that, yeah, you know, Moses says in Psalm 90, that once you realize how numbered your earthly days are, you can begin to apply your heart to, to begin to, to learn wisdom. Uh, Carmen, one of the things I really go after in this book, and I do it kind of playfully, but you know, it's playfully serious is this kind of popular concept of the bucket list. Um, you know, I, it came, comes from a movie that came out several years ago where a couple guys get a terminal diagnosis and they come up with all these things that they want to put on their bucket list to do before they die. But one of the questions that I ask in this, in the book is, does a bucket list really make sense for a Christian? Because, you know, heaven is a renewed version of everything we experience on earth. And so that means that whatever we enjoy here, whether we're talking about food or climbing Mount Everest or even the joys of, of, of relationships, we experience in fullness up there. So there's literally nothing that I will miss out on down here um, that I won't be able to do in abundance up there. Uh, you know, the little phrase we always use, YOLO, you know, you only live once. We actually need to replace that with um, what I call it, YALF, which is you actually live forever. And once you realize that, you can devote your life to the things that matter because there's only one thing. There's only one thing that I know of that we will um, not be able to do in eternity or we yeah, would not be able to do in eternity that we can do here. And that is tell people about Jesus. And so I want to make sure that I'm making the most of this mess that God has given me to count for eternal purposes. I'm talking with Pastor J.D. Greer about his brand new book, what are you going to do with your life? It's a question that we tend to ask to young people. It's not a question that maybe we ask so often of ourselves in what we might call midlife or even later life. But those of you who are at those stages of life, this is a conversation that is timely and timeless. We are encouraging a perspective that brings eternity into view all the time. Not not like we're going to look at eternity and it's out there in the distant future and I don't need to worry about it right now. But the, the things that I'm doing today, the things, the ways in which I'm living today actually do have an impact in eternity. And so when I get to that moment in time where I get to stand before the Father in heaven, it's not really as much about, you know, the litany of my sins because Christ has those covered. It really is a conversation about what did I, what did I do with the life that God gave me? How did I invest it well? And I don't, I don't want to be a person who was found to have wasted it. I want to lead a life that's worthy uh, of the calling of being a Christian. So Pastor J.D. Greer and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Again, the book is, What Are You Doing With Your Life? We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation now with Pastor J.D. Greer of the Summit Church. Many of you also know him as the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. We could have a conversation about Great Commission Baptists if you want to, J.D. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. I hope also some of your listeners recognize my voice as somebody comes on around noon. Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you guys do hear J.D. Greer uh, here um, as well on Summit Life. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's it's an honor to be with you, Carmen. I'm, I'm a big fan of just your ministry and, and honored to be able to have this conversation with you. Well, and I'm one of your sheeple, so there you go. I mean, you know, down on the <laughs> You're big, a Great Commission yeah. Baptist. 
I am a Great Commission Baptist, absolutely. All right, um, you are not in the South. I can say that. Yeah, we uh, we have talked a little bit about kicking the bucket list. Let's cover for people. I know we'd have to do it quickly, but you have these six premises of an eternal worldview. I'm frequently talking about worldview and biblical worldview or gospel worldview, the way I like to characterize it. When you talk about a, a an eternal worldview, what are the what are the premises you're talking about there? It, well, actually, what it is is just an outline of the Book of Romans where Paul he, Paul gets to kind of his thesis statement for life. And again, I don't think he's just speaking about people that are full-time in ministry. I think he's just talking about somebody that has an eternal perspective. And he's like, you know, people need to hear. And how can they call on the one they haven't heard about? How can they um, hear about him if, if we haven't been sent to them? And that, you know, that statement comes in chapter 10, but it's after 10 chapters of Paul logically walking through how he sees the world. Uh, now that you say, you know, six of them, I'm racking my brain to say, can I can I spit out all six of these from memory? But basically, uh, they're this. Let's, let's not let's not count real real close because there might be five or seven when I get done. But one is um, that you know everybody everywhere has heard about God and that everybody has a longing for God. Romans one says God has put that within each of us. Um, the second premise is that all of us have rejected God. Uh, there's nobody anywhere that has responded the right way to the revelation of God, and that puts us under um, condemnation, uh, rightful condemnation, because because we have heard the voice of our Creator through cre- creation and through conscious through our consciousness, and just said, "No, God, I think I could do it better." Um, for a long time, Carmen, I struggled with, um, you know, why relatively in the world, it seemed like so few people were Christians. I mean, I know there's two billion of us, but you know, what about the other, you know, four or five billion? Um, and it just seemed like it wasn't fair. But what I realized was that is that what was fair is that God gave to each of us what we deserved, which is condemnation for having, as a race, unanimously rejected the Creator. Well, premise number three is that because God is gracious, He sent a Savior. Um, he came, you know, His Son, Jesus Christ, to uh, to purchase salvation for us because we couldn't do it for ourselves. And He extended that to all of us. Uh, premise number four is that um, people have to hear that in order to be able to believe it. Carl F. H. Henry, the the, the the theologian, used to say the gospel is only good news for somebody if it gets there in time. And, yeah. uh, you know, that changes kind of how I think about, you know, only one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for, for Christ will last. Um, the premise number five is the only people they can hear it from are, are us. You know, angels do a lot of things in the Bible, but the only people that ever preach the gospel that explain the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and how it's God's gift to us, giving us salvation. Um, those are uh, the, the only lips that those pass through are the lips of human beings. You can you know, do a Bible study on that and see it. And that leads me to premise number six, which is the task is urgent, that there is nothing you and I ever focus on that is, a, is as important as making sure the people in our lives know about Jesus. And then for us, collectively to make sure that people around the world and every people group in the world have had a chance to hear and believe. Keith Green, who was uh, an old uh, Christian or hippie turned Christian songwriter, he died back in the 1980s. He had this statement. I always remember he said, um, he said that this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls all over the world. And that's a responsibility we have to embrace that Paul embraced in Romans 10, and we have to embrace in our generation too. So, J.D., let's talk about the way that that you are encouraging people to embrace that challenge. Talk a little bit about uh, the go-to challenge, and then also talk about this um, leveraging versus leaving in terms of the way we sort of look at traditional career paths. 
Yeah, no, no, that's a great question. Um, so um, specifically, like I said at the beginning, this really is a book that I that is a life message of mine for people at every stage. But in particular, you've got college students and young professionals who many of them are asking. They're at a very free time of their life where they're not encumbered. And what I challenge, I've done this at our church, the Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, for almost 20 years, is challenge them to give at least the first two years of their postgraduate life to being a part of um, a church planning team. I I don't mean that they become full-time pastors. In fact, the vast majority of them will transfer their career and actually pursue their career in a place where they can be a part of a church plant, whether that's in Dubai or Jakarta or Denver or Miami. Um, you know, our church has, has uh, sent out about 1,300 of our members to go and, and be a part of one of these church planning teams, and the vast majority of them are not, you know, called to full-time vocational ministry. We always tell them, like, you got to get a job somewhere, so why not get a job in a place where God is doing something strategic? Um, you know, of all the factors that go into where you pursue your career, why wouldn't, for the follower of Jesus, why wouldn't the kingdom of God be the largest and most influential of those factors? Uh, in fact, one of the things I, I really try to pursue in the book is this idea that what it means to follow Jesus is to um, to take whatever you're good at, it may not be preaching or leading worship, maybe architecture or education or law, but whatever you're good at, you should do that well to the glory of God. But you should also do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. And so we challenge this, you know, college students and young professionals, and we've created avenues for them. Go to years.net, um, you know, is, 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 is the gateway for that of just saying, hey, yeah, be a part of, of a domestic or international church plan. It's not just something for the Summit Church. It's for every follower of Jesus. Well, one of the most um, one of the groups that surprised me most in how they responded to this was retirees. Who are not exactly, you know, recent college graduates, but many of them were like, look, um, you know, I just I'm at one of the most freest, uh, the the freest and most financially independent times of my life. I just finished my career, but I felt like I got a lot left in the tank and and I'm not, you know, only crossing the finish line yet. So why wouldn't I take these first couple of years of my retirement and go and be a part of a of a church planning team. Maybe it's to be a, you know, a counselor or help with, with some of the, these church planners. And so we've seen a lot of retirees at our church, um, you know, make those, that first part of their retirement really count for the glory of God. And so this book um, is not all about that challenge, but it's one of the applications for it. You know, the, the, the website for the book, what are you going to do with your life? One of the things it links to on there is, is, is go to years. And, and it's a way that you could get some ideas for how you could actually, actually be involved. All right. That was your first question, Carmen. You asked me a second thing at the end. I wanted to make sure I didn't miss that, but I no, totally that, it was that. It. No, no, it's it is already that. It's the leverage versus leave oh, um, gotcha, part yeah. of the conversation. Yeah. Well, can I do thirty seconds on yeah, that? Absolutely. Um, you could do a full minute. <laughs> okay, full <laughs> minute. Here we go. The the, the, the deluxe edition. Um, so <laughs> when I was growing up, I grew up in a um um a, a really conservative Baptist environment, and um you know every year at camp. Uh, there was always two invitations that was given you know, on the final night of camp. Do you want to get saved, and do you feel called to ministry? And if you were called to ministry, what it meant was that you would you know, forsake whatever career plans you had, and you would you know, go to seminary, go to Bible college, and learn to, learn to preach. And that's great. You know, we need a whole lot more of that. But what I have realized over the years is that the vast majority of people that God calls into ministry, which, by the way, is every follower of Jesus— he does not intend for them to leave their career. He intends for them to leverage their career. And leverage their career is, is going back to what I said a second ago, that you're taking what you're good at 
and you're doing it well for the glory of God, but but also somewhere strategic for the mission of God. That business, business, and and, and our professions end up becoming a, a much better, more fulfilling, and easier pathway toward seeing the gospel cover the, the 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 face of the earth than is a bunch of people going to seminary and then heading out on on mission trips as important as that is. So one of the challenges is is God calling you to leave your career, you know, like William William Carey or Adoniram Judson or, or famous missionaries of the past, or is he calling you to leverage your career the way that we see a lot of people in the book of Acts do that um, to be a part of 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 the great commission. All right, that's J.D. Greer. I'm going to send everybody to the what I just consider sort of one-stop shopping here, jdgreer.com. Greer is that's spelled yep. G-R-E-E-A-R. You can click right there on the Summit Life podcast. You can find the resources that we've been talking about today, in particular the book, What Are You Going to Do With Your Life? You can also connect to the other ministries with which uh, J.D. is engaged and invites you into as well. J.D., what a pleasure. Um, thanks for joining us today on Mornings with Thank Carmen. you so much for having me on. Absolutely. All right, friends, we'll be right back. There's always a reason to always choose joy. There's something deeper that the world can't destroy. Smile when you think you can. One of the great privileges uh, of being engaged in this ministry is that uh, you guys communicate your prayer concerns, and we have the privilege of praying for you. And so as a staff at Faith Radio, we gather um, a couple of times a week, and we have been praying uh, over a very, very long list of prayer concerns that were shared with us during our Fall Share campaign. And I just wanted to uh, let you know that if you shared a prayer concern with us during Fall Share, we have prayed for you by name as a group over the concerns that you shared with us. Um, It is a great privilege to be able to go before the Lord um, on behalf of one another, bearing one another up by name with particular concerns. And it also illuminates for me the really extraordinary number of people listening right now who are dealing with cancer, either themselves or in their families, dealing with uh, family members who are not believers and the great heart burden that that is. Um, We have listeners who have had family members who've taken their own lives in this past year. Um, We certainly have a number of people who are listening right now whose uh, particular challenge is in a relationship within their own home, a relationship with a spouse, a relationship with a parent, a relationship with a child, um, a relationship with extended family who have moved in during, uh, during the pandemic people who are dealing with um, financial struggles. Um, but mostly I would say there's a, uh, a joy that is articulated, even in the lifting up of prayer concerns, knowing that we're not alone. And so I want to encourage you today um, just to recognize that you are a part of a great fellowship of God's people who gather together here in this space. And it's it's a gathering Um, unlike the ones that we are sort of used to being engaged in, where we see one another face to face. But in in gathering together here, we find a fellowship, a unity of the Spirit, and a bond of peace, uh, an acknowledgement that together we believe in one Lord and one Savior, that we enjoy one fellowship, that we have a bond that is unbreakable and eternal that we are brothers and sisters in Christ who not only are going to spend eternity together, which is really cool, 
but who here on this earth, right here and right now, acknowledge the reality of the God who is, the God who has spoken, the God who has come, the God who redeems, the God who sees fit to pour into our lives every spiritual blessing that's necessary for the working out of his will in the world. That's who we are as uh, a community of believers gathered together here, right here and right now. So thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for sharing your concerns with us. Um, Thank you for the great privilege that it is to pray for you and with you each and every day. Thank you for praying for me and my uh, partners in ministry here at the Faith Radio Network. We count on your prayers. Um, We acknowledge that together we are the Faith Radio family, you and I together, and Paul and everybody else, and Uh, Susie and Bill and Neil and on and on and on the list goes. We love you. Um, We acknowledge that God loves us each and every one, and we hope that you experience this as a great blessing in your life today. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.